The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace, you can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. I am so happy to be back. This is our first live show in about six weeks. I apologize, but the holidays came in, and every Tuesday it seemed like it was Christmas. It was Christmas, then it was New Year's, and the studio was closed, and I'm just really happy to be back live, and I have some things to share with you today. So my name is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm the host for this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. And in each one of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system, our intelligence, into the living landscape of work through visual devices. Why? So we can work with attention, precision, high safety, with pace, so quality is designed in and mistakes are designed out. So our company can make great, great profits, increasingly great, and so we can find satisfaction in our work, even fulfillment, even joy. So we can enjoy ourselves along the way, work as mastery, work as service, work that is aligned and focused and a workplace that is unified, that is moving as one. These are the themes. The work and the workplace become our partners, our functional performance partners. We have enabled them to do so through visuality, through the language we call visuality, workplace visuality, visual devices, the vocabulary, visual systems, the paragraphs in the books. We invent ways to embed information into the living landscape of work so that information is there when and as we need it, and we pull it to us. We pull it to us. The visual workplace is the perfect pull system, a system which we design ourselves one visual solution at a time. Chronic questions are replaced with embedded answers. Information deficits disappear through visual solutions, and when they do, we have not only eliminated the deficit, but we have eliminated the symptom, their symptom, motion moving without working. Is all of this coming back to you now? These are the things we've been talking about, the themes we've been talking about for over a year. And it's not the devices that are the higher level of performance function that we get in a visual work environment. It is the logic that does it. It is our thinking, the logic of the device our thinking that we embed, visual thinking. So the visual workplace is a system of systems, not just some point solutions, but a logic of performance. And that's what this show is about. And some things to the left and right of that as well. 
as you may have noticed, since uh, the late fall, I got into smart, simple design and also some uh, things about Borg. We're going to complete our Borg show today. <laughs> I like this so much. And this is the work that I've been doing for some 30 years. This is why I can kind of sit here and feel like I have something to share with you because this has been the focus of my imagination and my mind, my heart and my research, my getting on planes 150, 200 times a year. That's beginning to slow down, thank goodness. I'm finding other ways to share the knowledge that uh, I've gained. But that's what I've been doing. I've been identifying and codifying the categories of visual function so that we can understand that perfect fit between humans and their contribution to humanity, their work. We want the workplace to speak. We let the workplace speak. We make the workplace speak. So it is splendid to be back. I hope you had a great holiday. I did. I got lots of dancing in. I love ballroom. I got a boyfriend who loves boy, uh, ballroom, and we danced our little feet off. I even got to the coast of Oregon, which is magnificent, something a place called Cannon Beach with huge haystack boulders sitting 20 stories high, sitting smack in the middle of the beach. So I've, I've had a good re- rest. I really have. And it's really good to be back speaking with you and sharing and learning. And although I traveled up through five days before Christmas, I have been planning to present live shows, uh, uh, and I got defeated because of this Tuesday thing every Tuesday. So we had a lot of encore shows last month. I kind of apologize for that, even though it's great stuff. But I prefer bringing you new stuff. And you know what? I've been thinking about that a lot, and I have been thinking about what is it that I want to do that is uh, for the next year. And what I want to do is I want to go deeper. We've spent the last 12 months working, walking through the basics of workplace visuality, the 10 doorways, 5 S's. So where to go next? Well, I think I finally uh, landed. We went very wide the first year. We're going to go deep now. Beginning with the next show, with my next show, we're going to go deeper into visuality. We're going to talk about borders in depth, what to do with your 5 S borders, fantastic pattern-seeking application addresses. I want to delineate the five reasons for workplace visuality. So please stay tuned. The best is yet to come. I think at least it's going to be as good as the past, and it may even be better. You decide. But I also have something else to announce, which I'm really thrilled at. All of my books are going into Kindle or, you know, those e-formats. We should be done by March. But I mean all of my books, my Visual Workplace Visual Order Associate Handbook, Visual Systems Harnessing the Visual Workplace. That was my very first book on visuality. Smart, Simple Design. We're just finishing the editing on that now. I spent five or six shows on that last September. Um, Visual Workplace Visual Thinking. And this is color with all the pictures. If you have a color Kindle or e-format reader, e-reader format. And also work that makes sense. And then I'm working on my new book, Visual Leadership, which is going to be a humdinger. So that means that my books, I'm so excited about this, will be available wherever you are on the planet. We have had so much trouble finding distributors and blah, 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 working out at all of that. That's not my work. My work is to think, to read, to write, to present. It isn't all this other stuff. So I'm really, really thrilled about that. I'm just thrilled. 
So please uh, stay tuned. And let's get on with today's show. And today's show is we're going to get into Borg again, back to Borg. This will be the last show I do specifically on Borg. And if you don't know what Borg means, you haven't been on the planet for the last 60 years, but I will tell you. So remember, our first show on Borg was about six weeks ago, just after Thanksgiving, Borg Cellular Design. And I sought to make a simple point repeatedly, and it's the same point of this show. We have to be careful not to swallow the marketing when we take a bite out of a new improvement approach. We have to be careful not to swallow the slogan. We have to keep our brains alive. We have to keep thinking, keep questioning. We have to be inquisitive. We have to eat the meat and not the packaging. Okay? Don't swallow the marketing when you take a big bite. So let's talk about, and, and what we're talking about here is the tribal think. It's kind of like the fashionable way to think, and so we stop our own independent and sharp thinking. Okay, we're talking about the tribal think, the Borg tribe, it's contagious, and you know I'm referring to Borg from Star Trek, that collection of former human beings that were turned into cybernetic organisms, that's a cross between a robot and a human, and who function as drones in what's called the hive. The hive, it's a pseudo race, it's, you know, they dwell only in the Star Trek universe, but in my view, they hold a lot of interesting lessons for us here on the planet Earth doing our improvement activities. So the thing is, the Borg will kind of steal up to you, they'll land on your trip, I'm sorry, on your ship, and they absorb you. It's called um, assimilation, and it usually entails a good amount of violence and abductions and injections of cybernetic implants. <laughs> but here's the thing about the Borg, this mass of, um, of humans who look pretty much identical and they've got stuff sticking out of their head to see and to talk, and they all think as one. And what is their goal? Their goal is to achieve perfection. Who could argue with that? It's just their means are a little bit weird. You know, and they always make this declaration so that you know. When they enter your proximity, they say, We are Borg, lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. And it's, it's, and, and resistance, you know, Picard, Jean-Luc Picard was absorbed by Borg but escaped. This is unheard of. You may remember that episode. But it's really, really hard. And that's what the tribal think is like. It's like really hard to separate ourselves from what we are supposed to think and thinking. And thinking. And marketing is not our friend. And you know what? A lot of improvement tools are marketed. So you can't really argue with the Borg from the point of view that they're hungry for new knowledge. Only they take your brain and your body along with your new knowledge. It's not exactly teaching. It's absorption. But the thing that they do is they commonize the knowledge. They make it uniform and instantly digestible. There's no granularity to this and I talked to you about that with cellular design that a lot of CI executives and uh, uh, sorry executives and CI managers 
they kind of got absorbed in the Kaizen Blitz. We've made it work over the last 25 years, but the first 10 years were really tricky because it looked great, seeking perfection, seeking one-piece flow, but we we closed our eyes to what wasn't great about it, and it absorbed us. It took us many, many companies, took them down the wrong path. Today, we're going to be talking about Borg quality, which is basically Six Sigma versus the rare and random event. I have an opinion about that. And Borg employee empowerment, where does the power come from and how do we harness it? And the third will be Borg standardization, the journey from useful to (laughs) non-useful. So this should be very interesting. And we will begin that discussion right after a uh, required break, which is going to happen right now. We'll begin with Borg quality. See you in a minute. Thanks. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call one 866 472-5790 that's toll free 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com now back to the program hi it's Gwendolyn I was about to say hi it's Gwenny I've had a long break and uh, that's what uh, I'm called around my household Gwenny so hi it's Gwendolyn welcome back to the Visual Workplace, our second segment. We're talking about Borg today, Borg qualities. In this segment, later on, we'll talk about Borg empowerment and Borg standardization. In other words, what is the hidden seduction underneath? What is the problem, the shadow part of 
some of these improvement methodologies. And right now I'm going to take on quality and I am going to look very directly at Six Sigma because I have an experience and I have research and I have data here that I want to share with you that that caused me to think. So very often uh, a, an, an improvement leader, a thought leader in a company, someone like Jack Welch or um, uh, let's just leave it at Jack Welch, will have success at a certain tool, at a certain approach and be very pleased with that and become excited about it. And that's exactly what happened at Motorola, at Motorola around 1986. Motorola got very pleased and very excited about something called Six Sigma. And they promoted it. And they got benefit out of it. And they deserved to crow. They did. So what is Six Sigma? Six Sigma has an intensified focus on measurement, data collection, and a very disciplined statistical approach to identifying and removing the causes of variance. So Six Sigma is about distribution. It's about the tails of a distribution, which means like um, uh, it looks like a kind of um, of a cake with uh, icing that has has drifted to both ends. Those are called the tails. And the center of the cake, if you're just looking at at it two-dimensionally, the center of the cake, where these two tails extend on each side, is called normal. And as you go further and further out, one end is very positive, abnormally positive, and the other end is abnormally negative. And we call that a distribution. And a six sigma, six sigma is a rating that's indicated a percent, that indicates a percentage of defect-free products. If you get, and sigma is a kind of interval, and if you get six sigmas, six sigma out, then you have such, uh, on the positive side, I should say, on the positive side, you have such a small percentage of defects that it's really quite, quite excellent. 3.4 defects per million. Okay? But actually, that one only responds to a 4.5 sigma level. Six sigma is you got 99.99966 right. Excellent. Okay? So anyway, six sigma, uh, Motorola set that as a goal for its manufacturing operations, and it became a byword for management and engineering practices, and it began to populate other companies, right? It was nifty, it was cool, and they had this green belt, brown belt, black belt, champions. What fun, it was really nifty. But it and us got a little bored because of it. Because Six Sigma worked at Motorola, at Motorola, a kind of slippery generalization was made that Six Sigma would work everywhere, elsewhere, everywhere. And the marketers began to promote the idea that Six Sigma was not just good, but it was good for everyone. And we swallowed it. Good for Motorola, good for GE, good for automotive, good for banks, for utilities, for banks, I said that, hospitals job shops, good for everyone. And the idea was sold and it was bought. The idea, and it was a mistaken idea, was marketed. 
and because it was marketed, it was bought. I mean, in a way, it, in a way, it wasn't exactly our fault. But we're a consumer-based society. We're supposed to buy. And the tacit, the unspoken agreement is that if you sell it and sell it slick, I'm going to buy it. If you build it, I will come. But improvement is more about thinking than about buying and selling. And I will tell you, a great deal of good has come out of Six Sigma and out of its problem-solving uh, a process called DMAIC, Define, Measure, Analyze, Control. I'm sorry, Improve Control. So there's no argument there, but the mistake was buried even deeper than that. So mind you, don't send me a lot of email. You can send me a lot of email, but be prepared. I'm in support of Six Sigma. It's systematic for problem solving and for a disciplined approach, but it is not well-founded as a statistical approach that identifies and removes causes of variance. Statistically, not through problem solving, but statistically. The mistake is the belief in variance as the cause of error. It is not. Variance is not the cause of error. And I say that really unequivocally for two reasons. One, I was apprenticed to Shigeo Shingo in the 1980s. And I'll tell you, you talked about statistics and he would throw his shoe or his banana at you. He said it was utter nonsense that SPC statistics is used for planning only, for calculating your CPK, your capability, and that's it. Everything else after that, well, let's just say that statistics had no role to play in defects. And he was unequivocal. So that kind of set me to thinking, wow, this is one of the co-architects of the Toyota production system. He believed instead in Pokey Oak. The single random event, rare and random event, error-proofing. Control the error, you will have no defect. Eliminate the error, you will have no defect, I should say. But the Borg thinking took us over, and we began to pursue defects through something that I believe, oh, I'm going to say it, is incapable of identifying errors, let alone eliminating them. So there are two, I want to put a finer point on this, Six Sigma, in my view, and Gwenny's view, is built on two false premises. We're not talking about the worthiness of DMAIC or of systematic problem solving, not at all. But the two false premises, as I see them, and I've got some people who agree with me, the first one is huge, that defects are caused by variation, and the second, which is linked to it, that defects can be reliably and systematically found through using statistic, statistics to chase down that variation, through this kind of distribution. Errors cannot be tracked or found or understood or, heaven help us, eliminated through statistics or SPC tools. Nope. Why? Because defects are not caused by variation. I'm going to cite a study in a moment, and I'm actually doing some work now that will be publishable in about, I say, April, May or whatever. Defects are not caused by variation. They are rare and random events. They occur almost singularly as single events. So there can be no trending. We cannot look 
for distribution because there will be no distribution. There will be no tails. The question of Sigma or Six Sigma, God help us, does not even arrive. This is mistakes of placing a die in the exact opposite position that is required, of getting the chemical mix wrong, of setting the temperature off by an interval of one, of choosing the wrong lubricant, of punching the wrong hole, of sending out an incomplete set, an incomplete kit, these kinds of mistakes, forgetting a measurement, mixing up look-alike parts, single incidences. The only thing you can trend is that the defects are increasing, but not the kind of defects and not the kind of trending that will lead you to cause. You can create a kind of puddle you can call it a distribution. I call it a puddle. I have, look, I have a PhD in statistics, and I have to say, I hated it. <laughs> I did. I did. But I was forced to do it. I don't know who forced me. I'm still hunting them down. So let me tell you about an impressive demonstration of the opposite. It is the most, I want to tell you about a study that was done on defects that is the most extensive QC study ever undertaken on the planet. It was undertaken on defects, recurrences, and sources of solutions. And the population was 320,000 defects. 320,000 defects. It's almost a half a million. It's short of a half a million. It's a little bit over a quarter of a million defects. The analysis of this population, the analysis, not the uh, uh, compilation, the analysis of this population was undertaken by my good friend and colleague, Martin Hinckley, author of Make No Mistake, president of Assured Quality, Pokioke Expert. He's, he's great. He's a brainiac, 50-pound heads. The year was 2011, not that very long ago. And a massive OEM, original equipment manufacturer, asked the 1,400 companies in its supply chain to compile their defect data. And in their sum, these data covered... 320,000 defects across 10,000 QC reports. Okay, and many of those supplier companies were using Six Sigma as their quality approach. And when the data were examined, something astonishing was uncovered. Only five of those 10,000 reports listed variation as the cause. Only five. That means only five of them lent themselves to statistical analysis. You ask, no doubt, what about the rest? If only 5 out of 10,000 reports covering 320,000 defects were caused by variation, or let us say that was listed as the cause, what about the rest? Did some alien life form take over? Well, you are closer to the, tru to the truth than you think. The rest were caused by a singularity, a rare and random event, a single cause, an incident, but more than that, an incident of one, an error, an error. We are in the causative realm that cannot be known, understood, or changed through SPC Six Sigma distribution of data because this phenomenon has no distribution. There is instead a single data point, an incident of one. This is the world of error, not variation. This is the world where Pokeyoke is the solution, not statistical analysis. You're just stirring the soup when you do statistics on single errors, and it's all single errors. 
and Borg thinking would have us believe that the world of defects is curable through statistics. That's the Borg think. That is what was sold in this package of blue belts, red belts, pink belts. You know, it's a great methodology, but it does it does something else other than what the marketing says it does. It does not address defects. And I say that categorically. I put my reputation on thirty over thirty years in the field on the line in saying that. So I want you to think about that. The Borg part. The part of this thinking that is Borg is the belief that the thinking that you were presented is complete. It was not. You must question this. Oh, I feel like a little preacher. You must question this. You know, we believe for decades that cellular design was best put in place through rapid improvement, the Kaizen Bliss. But we later discovered that Toyota, the so-called inventor of cellular design, never ever created cells through blitzes. Why? Because doing so so unbalanced the work culture, the people part of the equation that was so important to Toyota's success and they knew it. They reserved that rapid change modality for their supply chain only, where suppliers were single sourced to Toyota and beholden, but never, never inside Toyota Central, where personal development is the very heart of enterprise excellence. And so when things don't happen, when the promise isn't kept, we have to ask ourselves why, and we cannot count ourselves the fool and say, it's our fault we didn't do it right. I want, I suggest that we do something else. What's wrong with the methodology? That keeps our intelligence alive. Even if it's a corporate initiative and the executive, you know, bought it. We still have to keep our intelligence. This is, this is like insider information. This is blowing the whistle on improvement. <laughs> we have to do this. And then we become these great improvement warriors. We have to learn to be cautious. You don't buy an improvement initiative on a golf course and you don't buy the marketing at all. So we're sliding into a break. I will see you in a moment and we'll move on to people empowerment where I have also some pretty strong opinions. I hope I don't sound too strident to you. I hope I sound somewhat, uh, I want this to be useful. See you in a minute. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. 
everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call one 866 472-5790 that's toll free 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com now back to the program hi hi welcome back welcome back to the third segment of our show today at the visual workplace we're talking about borg borg versus thinking borg thinking versus inquisitiveness Borg thinking versus the demand to validate what our eyes and our experience tells us. So, we just talked about quality Borg, and we're going to, uh, uh, and we talked uh, in an earlier show about cellular design, Borg cellular, cellular design, and we're going to talk about people empowerment now. But I want to say, I heard the announcer say, you know, about uh, we're a call-in show. We are a call-in show, and this for the next three or four months, I am mostly doing live shows. I'm hardly traveling at all. And I hope during that time that you and I can get into the habit of talking to each other. Because I tell you, you know, I'm pretty good at what I do, you know, in, in my view, and my mother agrees with me. <laughs> um, I'm pretty good at what I do, but I'm really even better at troubleshooting and kind of dealing with actual problems coming out of the implementation of workplace visuality and other improvement techniques. And I also have such a interest in what you're doing. So, you know, that combination means please call in and let's have a conversation. The gentleman always announces the number or you can send an email and say, hey, listen, will you call me during the next show? I, I have some questions and it's easier if you call me and I'll be at the ready. So let's start, you know, let's go deeper in our relationship. Let's have a more complete relationship here, even though I really love spouting forth, as I'm about to do again. So just before the break, we were talking about, I was saying, you know, don't buy an improvement initiative, even though it's been bought on the golf course, and don't buy the marketing at all. Have your experience, try things out, and expect the methodology to perform to specification. So again, Six Sigma has contributed a lot of good to a lot of companies, but it is not by any means the methodology of choice when attacking defects. Because as we said before the break, there's no variation here. Statistical process, the whole concept of Six Sigma anything is outside the universe of defects. Okay? The only reason that the Borg exists is to absorb you and your mind and to make your mind theirs. It's their gain, such as it is, and your enormous loss. So we're going to look at another case now 
of Borg, the Borg mine working against enterprise improvement, this time in the area of people empowerment. And who would argue with the goodness of that? Who would dare question the importance and relevance of empowerment? Certainly not me. For literally thousands of years, power had been in the hands of the few to the detriment of the many and to the detriment of society and civilization as well. And over those thousands of years, we, the people, began to realize that only some of the problems that faced us could be solved through the massive centralized accumulation of power and the wielding of power through positional authority, through the well-placed or well-born few, through either the mon- a monarchy or an oligarchy. An oligarchy is just a small bunch of people who aren't, you know, um, 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 genetically groomed for power. They just kind of come together and take power, small group. The rest of us, we slowly realized, and I mean slowly because most of the change has happened within the last 300 years and a great deal has happened in the past 80 years, but we slowly realized that we didn't have enough power and people globally People in many countries began to rebel against the imbalance for a long, long time. But only when there had been enough attempts to shift the balance of power to redistribute the power, I should say to redistribute power, was there enough new thinking to amass a tipping point, a slide into a new paradigm. And that new paradigm is empowerment. We all knew what power was, but the idea of empowerment, of the power within or the power in me, was kind of new. Okay? And there were lots of uh, arguments and attempts and uprisings and revolutions that failed that preceded this. So we really are now the product of all of those efforts. Finally, the tipping point has been reached and the paradigm has begun to shift. It's very impressive. It's happening now. It's happening before our very eyes. No one could predict that some of that small number of people, the few who held power, would also begin to realize that the shift could actually help them as well and they began to support it. That the redistribution of power could actually help their cause. This was a big shock. And it's happened within the last 20 years. Toyota brought it over and the miracle of Japan in the 1980s and it woke up all of our masters of industry. Executives of the great companies realized that a spirited and engaged workforce could actually increase performance and increase profitability, increase the market and many of the great enterprises of our day have begun to realize that greater profit That and that greater profit was to be gained by getting people involved in making it, not just through their hands and their feet, their physical labor, but through their thinking, through the power of the mind, a gift. A gift, the masters of industry suddenly realized, that was powerful in others as well as in themselves. That's the great thing about empowerment. We have to recognize not only our own power, but that power exists in the other as well. This is the making of culture. 
The result was respect for the individual and a call for the redistribution of power. All of this is good. There's no Borg here. Borg comes along in a second. Power previously and solely held by people in positions of authority, executives, managers, kings, began to share. And they mandated empowerment. Empowerment was born and hooray. But here's the thing. They didn't quite take it far enough. The power to do what? What is that power? What is empowerment? Well, I've thought about that a long time. I've come up with something very simple. We're still not in Borg, but we're getting very close to the tribal think. The power to think and in highly progressive organizations, the power to implement. The power to think and to do. So what's Borg? What's the Borg part about this seemingly excellent idea? It is this, that people become empowered by saying they are so. That people become empowered by saying they are empowered. This is not true. It isn't true. Empowerment, first of all, is an executive decision because executives are in charge of resources and therefore they are in charge of expanding the distribution of power. That's a resource. In the enterprise, they're in charge of the faucet. An executive must decide intentionally and in writing to expand the boundaries of who gets the power to to do what? The power to think and the power to do. So the executive recognizes empowerment as a quantum You only get so much of it. There's identical amount in me as there is in you. This is not positional power. This is not auxiliary power. This is actual power. And so the executive makes it policy. We are going to recognize that in others. But recognizing it doesn't make it active, doesn't operationalize it. So the boss decides he wants, she wants more and mandates it. And this is exactly where the process breaks down because it stops. Because few companies know that they need to operationalize empowerment and even fewer know how. How do we redistribute the power? How do we do that? The rest just think it will happen because it's policy. And the empowerment in companies like that limps along and fades People get disappointed. They get disappointed in themselves. They get disappointed in another. The way, this is the way I see it happening mostly. And it needs to be mended. So it mostly happens like this. There's a problem. And managers and supervisors who are real empowerment advocates realize they have a fertile resource in the minds and the hearts of hourly personnel, of operators. And they say, Let's bring some operators together and see what they come up with. And if the operators solve the problem, empowerment is celebrated. But if they do not, or if at the far extreme they don't even have a clue as to what to contribute, empowerment is seen as a failure. You see, I told you it wouldn't work. I see this all the time. The failure of empowerment, the limits of the paradigm, the disappointment in our fellow man in ourselves, in the operator, in the executive, in the supervisor. Even worse, 
even worse when some single operators or some single supervisors have a bright and spirited mind and they have an idea and the idea is winning. The others in the room who are not operators may celebrate it, but the others in the room who are operators or fellow supervisors will resent it. And in some limping organizations will sabotage it. Why? Is empowerment the failure here? No. We bought the packaging. We ate the packaging. We forgot the meat. They bored us on the slogans. They didn't tell us empowerment must be operationalized. And as you know, workplace visuality is, in my view, one of the two most powerful ways, if not the most powerful way of operationalizing empowerment that I've ever come across. What to do? Well, first, think. You have to think. You have to question it. You have to see. Empowerment is not working. Is there something wrong with empowerment? No. There's something wrong with the methodology for implementing it. Question everything except your intelligence. What is missing? What got skipped? What was the assumption that we took for granted? What foiled us? Hmm? Because people are innately powerful, they're inventive and creative by nature, we are natural problem solvers, but not everyone knows how yet. Not yet. So we have to give people the chance to learn the skills of empowerment, the skill of thinking. We have to train for this. We have to train just as though we're trying to master the piano or martial art. We do the scales, we do the forms in martial art, and then we practice, we get this refined body memory, this habit, it becomes our second nature, and then we reach for proficiency. We have to do the same thing with empowerment. We have to give people ways to learn to think, and also to learn their confidence, to learn to come forward, to learn to express themselves. This does not happen by accident. And if it does not happen, it is as much an executive's fault, if I may say, as it is not declaring empowerment as a an enterprise mandate. Okay? We really have to put our feet to the fire. We want to ignite the eye. The eye is in there waiting to be ignited. But bless you, bless you, you are now empowered, will not do that. You have to cultivate empowerment. You cultivate it. You give people special tasks. You give them special tools. You give them a way to think. You give them practice. Prince William, born to the cloth, though he is, is in training, constant training, to assume his role as sovereign of England when the time comes. None of this comes naturally. The gift is that we recognize the power within, but then we have to take steps. Otherwise, we'll get bored. Otherwise, we'll think there's something wrong with that person in not expressing their power. But in fact, that's not true. It is always the responsibility of the enterprise to develop that. And may I go back to our discussion about cellular design and why the heart of the Toyota success is indeed the development of people, the development, the cultivation of the mind, the heart, the skill, the mastery. 
Okay, we got to go into a break because I need a little bit of time to do standardization. I'm getting signals that it's time. So see you in just a minute. Maybe we'll take a very short break if I'm lucky. Short break, please, Matt. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. Hi. This is Gwendolyn. We're in our last segment of our show today, our Borg show. And we've discussed Borg quality and took our little jab at Six Sigma. Hope I didn't offend anyone. Hope it was uh, um, interesting for you. And then we looked at Borg empowerment, and we said empowerment is as empowerment does. Otherwise, it's just an idea waiting to be turned into an action and into a benefit for the company. And our fourth area is actually our third, our fourth, including cellular design, which we did at an earlier show, is Borg standardization. So I think we have time to cover this. Standard, standardization, standard work. What are they? How are they different? And what's the Borg part? Okay, so standards are the bed, the bedrock of all work. They pave the way to repeatable, reliable, precise, and predictable outcomes. We pursue standards as the starting point of reliability, repeatability, and excellent deliverables. And what we are making is we're making the steps of a process uniform, firm, repeatable, so that we can make the outcomes, the specification, uniform, firm, repeatable, we can get our desired outcome. So that's what standards are. We set standards, uh, procedural standards, your SOPs, specification standards, your tolerances, your dimensions, your values. That's the first. So that's what standards are. The second, standardization. Standardization is defined as the best technical application that we can mutually arrive at by selecting the best choices consistent with our standards. We're going to standardize things and we're going to make them uniform. 
so that they will be stable and predictable and will know what's what and who's who and where's where and when's when and how's how. Standardization. Great. The third of this little triumvirate is standard work. Standard work works on segmenting the work content into sequential elements. In other words, step after step. Sequential elements or steps, and then we refine those steps. As we refine them, we actually begin to create a timing for each step, an exact time required to execute each step, and in what order. And as soon as we add time, we create a time-based process, we can add pull. We can actually create the vacuum to pull it downstream. So standard, standard work, and standardization, they're very close. They're different, but they're very close. And here's the board part. The definitions are right and good, but they are often used interchangeably. With making everything standardized and unalloyed good, we often think that standard work and standards are also, are exactly the same thing. And it just isn't true. In fact, the notion that standardization is paramount and is the only doorway to excellence is not just bad, but it runs counter to to excellence itself. Now, I want to, as an example, I just want to say, look, words are different for a reason. I'm making a point here, so bear with me. Words are different for a reason. Why do the Sami people in the Arctic have 180 words for snow and nearly a 1,000 words for reindeer? Why? Because words matter. Words are different because different meanings are needed. And those meanings have to do for the Sami with relevant life-strengthening reasons. Pretty is not the same as beautiful. Beautiful is not the same as cute. Cute is not the same as handsome. These words are different because different meanings are needed. So standards, standardization, and standard work are three different phrases. They are not the same and... If we think of all three as the bedrock of excellence, we will standardize too soon and standardize things that should be left open-ended. This is the Borg part. And I've heard it again and again because so much of visuality has to do with principles, if you will, the standards, but also about inventiveness that people get upset. When I say, let's leave the inventiveness part open-ended, let's not standardize too soon, because you see, when you're dealing with standards, you are, intentionally or not, dealing with the human will. You are dealing with the human will. When you standardize, you are taking the will out of the work, and you're putting the standard in its place, in its place. Standards intentionally, implacably, and reliably remove the human will from work content. Hmm? And our will is what makes us powerful. If you do that, what are you going to do with the empowerment part? You're going to use your empowerment to standardize everything? What about that part that is, is, is spirited 
and is innovative and is wildly creative. You can't standardize that. And in fact, if you try to, you will borg it out of existence. You will absorb it into the great all and it will lose its definition. And I hear this repeatedly. So managers, do your standard work and define that field. But do not make standards, standard work and standardization the way, the only way you get at excellence. You're going to have to deal with the messy part, the human part, because that's the empowerment part. And that's the part that will chill your bones, that will, you know, drive you into joy at work. So I'm out of time. I did the best I could. I got pretty well to the end. But I want to encourage you to continue this standard, this splendid thinking that you're already engaged in. It's a thrill for me to be part of it with you. I had a great time with you today. Thanks for tuning in. See you the next time. This is The Visual Workplace, and I am Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.